Only two HBCU players were invited to the NFL Combine. It's a disappointing number, but not overly surprising. Also, FAMU's recruiting class is graded as one of the best in the FCS South. Oh yeah, it's Locked on HBCU. Play my music. You are Locked on HBCU, your daily podcast covering HBCU sports. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's going on, family? Welcome back to another episode of the Locked on HBCU podcast, your number one daily one-stop shop for everything HBCU athletics, Monday through Friday, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And now, of course, Sam Darian Gray, a.k.a. the Mouth of the South, Texas Southern alum and former TSU Herald Sports Editor. Thank you for going on this journey with me, making Locked On HBCU your first listen of the day every day. And remember, just because the mic cuts off does not mean that the journey is over. No, it just means it's time to follow me on Twitter, at South Exclusives, which you can see at the bottom of the screen. But if you're on the audio side of things, don't forget the S on the in. And today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more by visiting fanduel.com slash locked on today to get started. And they are the official sports book of the Locked On Podcast Network. And I want to talk about this NFL Combine invites that have been released, right? Only two HBCU players were invited. Mark Evans of UAPB and then Isaiah Land of FAMU. This is a disappointing number. But not overly surprising. And I don't mean in a, a woe is me type of way. I just mean this is around where I expected. Less than what I expected. But not too far too far off base. And I'll talk about that and the players who I felt could have been invited as we wrap up the segment, of course. But let me tell you why it's disappointing. I think it's pretty obvious. It's a downgrade from where we were last year. Last year you had four HBCU players who made it. Jatire Carter, not drafted. It was the same exact amount, but I'm only talking about the scouting combine. You had Jatire Carter, Joshua Williams, Dakobe Durant, and then also Marquise Bell. And in refreshing myself with the names, because I just wanted to make sure that James Houston wasn't invited, because I always felt like he kind of should have been, but he wasn't. So I had to refresh and make sure that I was right about that. I stumbled across an article, and that article was saying how or asked the question, I should say, is it disrespectful? They then went on to talk about how it was disrespectful, but it started off with asking the question, was it disrespectful that only four HBCU players made it last year? And I could only think, wow, if that was the reaction last year, what's it going to be now that it's dropped down to two? And there were some players that I wanted. When I say this isn't surprising, I don't want to make it seem like there's not quality players out there. There definitely is. I just wasn't overly shocked by the fact that it was only two who got invited to the combine, like on a scale of KD getting traded to the Suns at 12 o'clock, nearly one o'clock in the morning, and then me getting hungry around 12. This is way closer to me getting hungry around noon, right? Because I expect this. I might get hungry a little earlier, a little bit later, but I kind of expect to be hungry around noon. And if it comes around that time, yeah, it's about what I expected. Didn't catch me all out of left field, but we'll talk about that as we continue, right, in the ads. But this was this number of two was around my expectations of three. That's what I expected. I'm not a scout. I don't view and discuss these type of events with the lens of a scout. See, I think when you're a scout, you come on and you talk about, well, this is what I felt like should have happened. These are the guys that I would have invited and things like that. I'm not I'm not looking with that for the most part. 
when I set my expectations, like I have an opinion on who I think should be where, and that's what I'll give you at the end. But when I set my expectations, I judge it off of what I hear and the buzz that I feel. Now, there was only two players who got early invites to the combine. That was Land and Evans, who ended up being the only two who got invites, period. But I did expect Aubrey Miller to make it. I thought that after the performance that he put on at the Senior Bowl, he got some good reviews. I felt a little bit more buzz about Miller coming out of Mobile than I did before. And I liked Miller, but I felt more buzz for him. I thought he would be invited to the Combine. After that, I wasn't expecting anybody. There's players who I would have liked to see, and I'm going to tell you those players, but expectations, no. And that's what, that's what we use to decide whether it's surprising or not, right? If you would have seen, I'll put it like this. If I would have seen eight HBCU players invited to the Combine, I would have been way more surprised than if I had saw two because it was way larger than my expectations and I would, it would have been a pleasant surprise and I don't think it would have been undeserving. It just would have been not what I expected. That's the difference. Maybe we use the terms differently. Um, I recently had somebody in the comments when I used the word spectacle and we kind of talked about the definition of spectacle versus how I used it. So I just want to define how I'm using the word surprising just so there's no confusion or anything for you who is, who is listening right now. But these are the players who I think also could have made it after the three that I said I expected. Jadakiss Bonds, Emmanuel Wilson, and then Shaq Davis. Those are the three that I kind of felt like might have made it. Or if they would have had some additional people, that's who I would have seen. So I'm talking three to six players overall that I think could have made it from the HBCU ranks to the NFL Combine. And I'm looking at Bonds because Bonds gets a lot of love. I do think that Bonds get a lot of love because we've seen him produce at the CAA level. We've seen him produce at the Big South level. We know that he's a big play receiver. I think he has a nice frame for the position as well. And I thought he had a pretty good Shrine Bowl performance. So I thought that he had the ability to get there. And I think he's going to be a player that people like. If we're talking about players who weren't in the combine but still could get drafted, I would have Jadakiss Bonds towards the top of that list. Then you look at Emmanuel Wilson. I thought that Emmanuel Wilson could occupy that D2 role that uh, I don't want to call it a role. That's not fair because that makes it sound like, you know, affirmative action or something like that. But I thought he would have been a D2 player who got a little bit more love from the HBCU ranks similarly to Joshua Williams, not putting them into a role or anything. But they share that similarity of being D2 HBCU guys. I thought he had a really good week at the NFL PA Bowl. He had a nice first run. He didn't get too many carries, but his first run was really good, showed a lot of patience to me. And Maurice Jones-Drew called him the most complete back there, which means he had a pretty good week of practice. I thought that he would have made it as well. And then lastly, Shaq Davis, who has a phenomenal frame. He has a perfect I want to work with you frame. There's certain players who just have certain skill sets, right? right? So his height plus his speed, I thought would have made him very attractive and they would have seen how he performed at the Combine. Actually, I think of the people who didn't make it, he might be the one who's missing out the most because those combine numbers are what I think he could have put up in the broad jump, the vertical jump, and then the 40 would have been so good that I think it would have really boosted his stock. And in a place where you don't have to look for him, it's already on display. I think that Shaq Davis would have done wonders with having a, 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 um, with having a combine invite. But those are the three players. I expected Land, Evans, and Miller. And then I thought it would have been nice to see some pairing of then also Bonds, Wilson, and then Davis. But I want to say these two things before we go, because I don't want people to have a panic. And I know a lot of people are reacting strongly, but there's, there's two things I think you need to remember. 
James Houston did not get invited to the combine and he was drafted. Marquise Bell did get invited to the combine and he wasn't drafted. All I'm saying, because y'all know how I feel about Bell and thinking he should have been drafted. All I'm saying is getting invited to the combine does not mean you're going to be one of the selections and not getting invited doesn't mean that you're out of it either. So let's not forget that. We're hoping that the number is going to rise. We're hoping that you get more than four players. However, the second thing I want you to, to remember is if we don't get more than four players, say these are the only two guys, say it's just Landon Evans, yes, I'll be disappointed. And he, honestly, then I would be surprised. I would be surprised that those are the only two. But trends aren't linear. They don't just always go one way. You look at whatever school you think produces a lot of talent, they're going to have a year where they don't produce a lot of talent. However, or produce a lot of standard or a lot of talent up to their standard. However, their dip is still a lot to some other people. But you have to put this in context of your situation. Put this thought process in the context of your fam you, of your Jackson State, of your just HBCU in general. And, and realize that sometimes you're going to have a dip. When you go from four to two, yeah, it's going to feel real low. But it doesn't mean it has to go from four to two to one. You can go to four to two to five to, to nine to six to ten. Like, it can vary. Don't look at it as, oh, well, we had something and now it's just a downward slope. That's a very pessimistic way to look at it. And you won't be able to get out of that pessimism for another year. I can't tell you what to do, but I can definitely suggest that you just have an open mind. I'm not saying that we will get to. If I had some wood near me, I would knock on it because I wouldn't want to speak that into existence. But if that is the case, let's not get overly down in the dumps the same way I don't think you should get overly down in the dumps about the combine invites. And going forward, we're going to be looking at the future because these are the present players, the players who are kind of about to be the past. But let's look at the future and let's look at FAMU's recruiting class in this February 6th National Signing Day because... They have been graded as one of the best in the FCS South as we continue with Locked on HBCU. Before we get into that, today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more by visiting the website down below, fanduel.com slash locked on. And I want to talk about the senior or about the Super Bowl and nothing else. I've told you this all week. That's what I want to talk about. But LeBron wants to come in the all black to beat Kareem's um, record. KD wants to get traded to, to Phoenix. Kyrie wants to get traded to Dallas. What is the new odds? Are we going to see a Maverick versus Suns Western Conference Finals? What are the odds on both of these teams making it to the NBA Finals? You can find that on FanDuel. They're quick. Even at the moment of, of recording this, they probably have updated it. But you can find it when I drop it. I know for sure in the morning that they're going to have some updated odds on the Mavs and then on the Suns as well. Most of the Suns because the Mavs have already been done. But who you got? Have you changed your pick of who you think is going to make the finals, win the finals, make the, the conference finals? Let me know on FanDuel. Now, this is my last time talking about basketball. When I come back tomorrow, we're doing Super Bowl odds. But you just got to be back tomorrow. But first, go to FanDuel.com slash locked on. <laughs> 
And as we continue rolling on today's episode of Locked on HBCU, I appreciate you for making us your first listen of the day. Every day for your second listen, check out Locked On College Basketball, which is everything you need around the sport, wherever you listen to your podcast, including where you're listening or watching me right now. So make sure you guys are checking that out. But I want to talk about football for a little bit longer, just a little bit longer, if you would allow me. And we'll get to a little bit of college basketball at the end. But I want to talk about Florida A&M because their recruiting class brings in one of the best in the FCS South, according, according to Lights On College. And the reason I wanted to highlight this is because I thought they built their February class, not talking about their early guys, but the February class with two themes, local and youth. I thought that those were the two things that they were able to build their program on. And listen, they came up third, and this includes everybody. I mean, yeah, everybody as far as the South and people have debates on what is the South. Campbell is number one in this list, and they're in North Carolina. So this is a wide margin. You know, I, I don't really like to get into the Southern debates. I know what I think is the South, and I'm going to just keep that to me. But anywho, so it's a wide margin. And also you're including not only the February players, but then also the players that you had in the early signing day, the players who came in around January. But I'm only going to focus on the seven players that they were able to sign on National Signing Day at the first of the month. And those were built on local prospects and then also youth. So I want to talk about this because they they did youth a little bit different. They did youth a little bit different because they don't need foundation. When I usually talk about people bringing in high school players, which is all of these players are high school incoming freshmen, when I talk about them, it's typically because they want to build a foundation and get to something. That's not FAMU. FAMU is where they want to be. They're trying to get over the edge. And they did bring in some JUCO players in the early signing day. But when you look at the youth, the reason they want to stack up on youth is to have depth. They have more players in, in camp than they did last year, or really more than typical. You had 110 players coming in the spring practice this year. Usually you have around 85 to 95. I think that's the typical norm, number that they bring them in at. But they want to have depth. See, I'm not trying to say that they're perfect by any means. That's not what I'm trying to say. Fam, you still has to find a, play, find a way to replace Xavier Smith. You still have to find a plan for that. You still have to find whatever you're going to do at running back because you're trying to improve your running game. And that includes shifting the offensive line around. All of those come into play. So in no way am I saying that they're perfect but they're also not in a place where they like, oh, well, we're going to have a three-year plan to do this. No, these young players should be depth pieces. If they excel, they should be players who are going to play, but never required to carry the weight. That's the type of program you want. You want to continue to bring in young talent that can be depth, that can develop, and then they can be the high-level players. And you have other young players by, behind them at that point who can now be your depth. And then they can develop, and then you just keep going in a cyclical. I think I said that right. Yeah. So it's a cycle. That's the point of it. And then also the other theme is you have local guys from the area. You're looking at defensive end Owens. You have the defensive end Owens, the running back bird, and then the kicker Smith. All of them are local to Tallahassee. They're close. You're looking at uh, Devin Rispris, who is their new director of recruiting. And what he's been able to do is use the connections that he's had from the high school ranks to now come in and be able to connect. However, Willie Simmons was very clear. Just because 
Devin had these connections just because he had already been familiar with a lot of these players and they're close to Tallahassee and keeping them home might not seem like a big deal just because those things exist and those relationships exist doesn't mean that it was easy you still had to put the full court press on you still had to make sure that you are pressing the the players and making sure you're recruiting to the fullest because so often when we feel like we got something in the bag oh we got it in the bag ain't no need to really talk about it no when you feel like you have something in the bag you got to make sure that you finish that's what you have to do. Not everybody can finish. And fam, you brought in what was kind of like a secret weapon for this, and they were able to finish. Let's go ahead and read everybody who was on here. So you had Justin Bostic. You had Cedric Bird. You got Oro Gray. You got uh, Robert Lockhart, Lockhart the third, who was actually supposed to go to Jackson State, but they stole him away after he decommitted post-prime leaving for Colorado. Then you have Malachi Owens, you have Michael Smith, and then also you have Tuan Wilson. Those are the seven players that you're bringing in if you're FAMU, all high schoolers. Three of them very local. You know, and you're looking at the kicker who's a five-star. That's somebody you're bringing in who... <laughs> you don't typically want to say impact player when you're talking about kickers, but I think this is an impact player because they do believe in special teams and they know how it can change a tide. And I talked about how I think that HBCUs should be able to put out kickers as long as you're recruiting good ones. And FAMU is recruiting another player who is going to be an important part of their special teams, an important part of their team. So when looking at this recruiting class, just talking about this early one, you have local players and you have very young players, incoming freshmen. Those are the themes of the FAMU recruiting class and the players that they were able to bring in in February. They have some more experience coming in from the early signing day, so it's a nice bunch but all of those players together are what got them to being the third-ranked FCS South recruiting class by Lights On Sports or Lights On College Sports. And going forward, we're going to switch over to Tuskegee's women's basketball team because they are 16-0 in the SEAC, and they've already wrapped up the, the number one seed. They're just here to dominate a little bit more as we continue with Locked on HBCU. As we're wrapping up today's episode of Locked on HBCU, I appreciate you for making us your first listen of the day every day. And then also getting all the way to segment three on the episode. Y'all know I love you for it. I want to talk about Tuskegee's women's basketball team because on yesterday's episode when talking about Morgan State, I tried to paint the picture of them being the only undefeated Division I team. But I forgot to say D1. I just talked about the OVC, the CAA, SWAC, and MEAC, and I just listed off the D1 conferences, but I forgot to say D1 because they aren't the only undefeated team. They actually don't even have the best undefeated record in, the, in HBCU basketball. That distinction goes to Tuskegee's women's basketball team. It's both women, so the women hooping right now, you know, and they 16-0, and here's the thing. There's only one team from the conference that has beat them, and that's Albany State, but it wasn't a conference game. I actually hate that. I hate, why are you scheduling conference opponents for non-conference games? It makes it so confusing when you're looking at the, the record, when you're looking at the schedule. It's like, okay, Albany State beat this team, but you're telling me that this team hasn't lost in conference, but they lost to a team that's in their conference. It's, it's not something that I love, and it's confusing for people. Like, when I looked at Jackson State versus Grambling last year, the amount of people who try to tell me it's a conference game, I understand why, 
but it wasn't. Jackson State versus Grambling football was not a conference game last year, but to many people, it was something that was weird for them to wrap their head around because that's just odd. Why would you schedule somebody in your conference and then say it's not a conference game? Um, that's like that's like the Saints scheduling the Falcons and saying, oh yeah, this ain't a divisional game. We're still going to play them two more times. Now, I would love three easy victories, so don't get me wrong. I wouldn't be mad about it. But I'm just saying, that'd be kind of weird. Like, well, come on, man. That ain't, this, this is just not normal to me. But that's exactly what happened with Albany State and then Tuskegee. It was a close game. It was a very close game, and they, were able to, and they did um, lose that game. And let's add to that layer of confusion, because why not? This is already a confusing situation of playing conference games. And I think it's even confused some on Tuskegee's website. See, if you go to the SEAC website, they'll tell you that Tuskegee is 16-0. If you go to the Tuskegee website, they'll tell you that they're 16-0 in conference play. However, if you go to each individual game and look at the box scores of the last one, they'll tell you that Tuskegee is 16-1. and and you go all the way back to the first time they played Albany State, they'll tell you that they're 0-1. And it's like they counted that as a conference game. However, it does not have the SEAC distinction at the bottom that every other one does. There's more things that will tell you that this is one of those weird, we're playing a conference opponent for an out-of-conference game, unless that'll tell you that this was actually a conference game that's just been slipped under the radar. However, the greatness of this team is still present regardless right even if they're 16 and 1 which i don't believe they are and it kind of takes away from the tagline but it is what it is let's talk about what happened the next time they play albany state the next time they played albany state it was a 45 point smashing it was a it was a game that wasn't even competitive significantly more lopsided than albany state's victory but it's just weird it's just weird but either way, I think they exercised that demon. It's not something I'll be concerned about. They played them shortly after, blew them out. 45 points is, there's, there's certain games when I think they haven't even allowed 45 points, if I'm not mistaken, just off the top of my head. That's how bad they beat them. And this isn't even a, their worst or their largest margin of victory of the year. They beat Spring Hill by 50. So that's the situation we're looking at. And I want to describe the greatness of them, but I also want to describe the confusion nature of, out-of-conference games being scheduled against conference opponents. Of course, you got all the great things. You're looking at 50-point victories, 45-point victories, first in scoring offense, first in scoring defense. They, they're great against the three. They shoot the three phenomenally. They're number one in both of those aspects. You're looking at the number one team when it comes to protecting the ball, very little amount of turnovers. The second most turnovers forced because they have the first amount of steals. They're great. Every statistical category that you would probably look at or you just looked at all the stats and just said, oh, who's the best team? Don't look at any of the records. Just look at the, the best team. And I looked, I'll say, oh, yeah, that's Tuskegee. Tuskegee is the best team in the SEAC. And then you would show me the records and you would be correct because they have three losses on the season. Kind of four. That, that whole Albany State game is extremely weird. I don't know what to make of it because they're credited as being 19-3, and three, but they lost to FAMU, they lost to Clayton State, and then they lost to Auburn. Two D1 teams, by the way, and one D2 team. But it's like that Albany State game either just doesn't count or one of these games is just was an exhibition or something. I don't know. But that, that whole schedule, that, that thing is weird. Somebody got to update that because that's, that's odd to me. Because I don't know what's going on there. But overall, they've only lost three games, maybe four, depending on how you want to count it. The next closest person in the conference has five conference losses. They've lost less games total 
than every other team in the conference has lost just against conference opponents. They've been way better than everybody else. Even if they stopped playing right now and they just rested everybody, they would be the number one seed. Even if they lost every single game, they would be the number one seed going into the SEAC tournament. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, when you have the tournament, the D2 tournament of everybody, they give way more love to HBCUs than you typically see in the March, in the March Madness tournament. So you would see them be a higher seed because they've been that good. And two of the losses they had were against D1 opponents. FAMU and Auburn. That's not going to count against Tuskegee that much. But I appreciate you for making us your first listen and talking about this weird, weird situation, but a very dominant team. Let's not let the situation cover up the fact that Tuskegee has been absolutely dominant this year against pretty much everybody that they faced. But I appreciate you for making us your first listen of the day every day. On tomorrow's episode, we're going to be talking about the change in power Alcorn is now the leader in the SWAC, and Southern has taken the back seat. I can't wait to break down that storyline on Locked on HBCU. For your second listen of the day, make sure you're checking out Locked on College Basketball, which is everything you need around the sport in one place wherever you get your podcast, whether you're listening or watching. In the meantime, in between time, if you're looking for me, you can find me on Twitter at South Exclusives. Until the next time that we hear each other, family, take care. Stay blessed. Peace.